Dr. Hussein, I wonder if you could present your patient. This is a 43-year-old woman, this is her age now, who in January 2002 had a 1.7 centimeter grade two infiltrating ductal carcinoma. At that time, the patient underwent a right modified radical mastectomy and axillary lymph node dissection. She was found to have seven out of 10 positive axillary lymph nodes, ER positive, PR positive, HER2 new zero by immune histochemistry. As I said, negative margins. At that time, the patient was entered onto the BCIRG005 study, which is AC times four followed by Taxotere times four or TAC times six. The patient was randomized to receive AC every three weeks for four cycles, followed by Taxotere every three weeks for four cycles. She finished the chemotherapy in August 2002. She received radiation therapy for two months after that because of the number of nodes, and she finished that in October 2002. In November 2002, she was started on tamoxifen. She was premenopausal, but she ceased to menstruate the minute she started her AC chemotherapy. She took the tamoxifen until February of this year, but over the last several months, we have been talking about an aromatase inhibitor because of her high risk. It's three to four years. She has no family history of breast or ovarian cancer, but I told her, although she has been amenorrheic for almost four, four and a half years, I need to check a couple of things before I even discuss AI seriously with her. One of those is a bone density. We did it, and her T-score was between zero and minus one standard deviation. Therefore, that was normal. When I did the hormonal levels on her, her estradiol was 427 picogram per ml on tamoxifen, FSH less than 0.7, and LH 1.7. Rich, can you comment on the case at this point? I think that we have found that menstrual bleeding pattern is not a good guide to ovarian function, which is what we're seeing here. In terms of the systemic therapy, I'm in complete agreement with what has happened, but I think that especially in the age of using AIs, one has to be very careful about the evaluation of the patient as you have done. And before I start, it has led me to do several things. Number one, in general, if a patient is premenopausal and receives chemotherapy and stops their menstrual periods, I will begin with tamoxifen in those patients, especially if they're less than 50, because it's just too unpredictable as to what's going to happen over the first couple of years. And if I do contemplate starting them on an AI, I will certainly check their serum estradiol levels to make sure that they're postmenopausal. And if it's not, obviously I will not start them on treatment. So the catch word is you have to be very careful in these patients that are premenopausal and rendered amenorrheic with chemotherapy because they can still have ovarian function and this can return. And I think in the past, I and many people used to say, well, after a year or so, if their menses had not returned, then they're going to be amenorrheic. That is not true. It can come back several years later, which makes this even more difficult. What should we expect to see in terms of the endocrinologic profile of a premenopausal woman, assuming she's premenopausal, on tamoxifen? Well, certainly tamoxifen can drive up serum estradiol levels to 
very high levels. And in the past, patients would occasionally ask for their estradiol level to be checked just because they wanted to know it. And I'd get this frantic call from oncologists that said, gee, their serum estradiol level is above the upper limits of normal. This woman's swimming in estrogen. Do you think that that's going to attenuate the efficacy of this drug? And the patient is very concerned. And the answer is no, at least according to our studies. What about the FSH and LH level and tamoxifen? I think those are more variable in terms of their pattern. What we do see is an increase in a substantial number of patients in their serum estradiol. So you look at this woman and say, well, you're still premenopausal and this is because of the tamoxifen? No, I would say she's still premenopausal because her ovaries are still functioning quite well. So she's, you interpret this as a premenopausal woman who's on tamoxifen? This is a premenopausal woman on tamoxifen. Julie, agree? Agree, entirely. Yeah. In patients who go on tamoxifen alone without any chemotherapy, about 10-15% of the time they have a reduction and occasionally just a cessation in their menses altogether just from the tamoxifen too, even though they're still premenopausal by hormones. Would you consider doing ovarian suppression now or when she hits the five-year point, Rich? This is a question that's difficult to answer. That's why you're asking it. I would say as a rule, if patients remain premenopausal, I keep them on their tamoxifen for five years because that's the standard of care. At the end of five years, I generally stop the tamoxifen. Is there a rationale for, at that point, either giving them an LHRH agonist and doing a nephorectomy and adding an AI? There is a rationale for it, especially in higher risk patients. I can see people doing that. There's no actual direct evidence to support its use. There's indirect rationalizations. Julie? I think you have another year and a half to play out before you hit your five years of tamoxifen. So that's what you're going to do for the next year and a half. And then you will have to come to this issue. She did have seven positive nodes. So that's making me a little nervous. If she had a lower risk of recurrence, then I'd probably really talk to her about the implications of removing every last bit of estrogen that she does have some floating around versus riding it out and getting some benefit to her heart and her bones and everything, and maybe her brain and who knows what else, certainly her urogenital tissue from having a little bit of estrogen. But with seven positive nodes, it might push me over to want to do something extended, and we don't have any data that more tamoxifen is going to help. I think it's a really tough issue, and I actually have had similar patients that we've gone both ways based on our risk assessment and weighing the toxicities. Would you be thinking about ovarian suppression or ablation alone or adding in an AI? No, I would be thinking about adding in an AI, and in order to do that, I'd have to suppress the ovaries in some way. Would you consider doing that at this point? Adding it to the tamoxifen? No, stopping the tamoxifen, oh. ablating her ovaries and giving no, her... No, I think you can ride out the five years of tamoxifen. I don't think there's any data in premenopausal women that would encourage me to do that. So can you follow up with what happened with the patient? Yes, we discussed that for a couple of months, and usually I do a PET-CT fusion scan on this patient yearly because that's what she wants. Around two months ago, she had the PET-CT scan completely negative like it has been every year for the last four, four and a half years. She didn't feel comfortable about the estradiol. We repeated it. We got almost the same numbers. And then I told her, okay, I need to send you to remove your ovaries if I really need to give you an AI. Because she said, look, my bone is normal. I'm not worried about it. I want to live without cancer. 
In these situations, usually I send these patients to actually GYN oncologist so that if they get a surprise, they know how to deal. I don't just send them to a gynecologist. And she had her surgery, a total abdominal hysterectomy, bilateral salmingo-ophrectomy, and we actually got the results of the path the day before I spoke to you last week. And surprisingly, she has a three-centimeter grade one encapsulated granulosa cell tumor. Of the ovary? Of the right ovary. And is it your take that that's where the estrogen is coming from? I have not repeated it yet. She hasn't come. I think she's coming next week to repeat it because that will be interesting. But at least it's one source. We know these tumors are very hyperestrogenic. Richard? Well, in Texas, we'd say you plot up a snake. It may be the source of estrogen or it may not. I don't know how high these things make estrogen levels go, but certainly her estrogen level could have been in this range without this tumor, and it would have been this is just an incidental finding. Julie, any comments? No, I agree. And you've taken her ovaries out now, so her estradiol is going to be lower, and you're not going to know which did it. David? Are there any trials ongoing to answer this question about an AI and an LHRH agonist after tamoxifen in premenopausal women at high risk? I can't think of any after. Up front, yes, there are trials looking at instead of tamoxifen, but can't think of any after five years. I don't know of any. It would be a very, very difficult trial to do. The upfront trial has been very challenging. You would think the MA17 concept should apply in premenopausal women. Things don't always apply that we think should apply, but I mean, Julie, it seems like it kind of makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I would believe that you could carry it over. I just really, really worry about what you're doing with the ovaries, because I do think that there are people who have some ovarian function that's stuttering through that are on aromatase inhibitors now. And I really worry that that's a very inferior therapy. So again, for the woman who's totally oriented around her risk, this woman here has seven positive nodes. Do you think it's rational just to consider taking out the ovaries and going on an AI? Yeah, sure. That was her choice. She obviously weighed the consequences of menopause, which she might have been put through with her chemo, but wasn't. She still had some estrogen around. She weighed that with a potential benefit. And I would have maybe ridden it out another year and a half and seen what happened. If she's 43 now, she was in her 30s when she got her chemo. So she was pretty young. So those are the patients who can persist. Yeah. What about this issue of diagnostic testing in a patient at high risk? This patient's having a PET CT every year. I try to avoid it because you always find something to go after. And as this case exemplifies, there was something there that wasn't seen, although not a super high grade kind of issue. But As long as we're mentioning it, what about tumor markers? Yeah, I feel a little differently about tumor markers. I mean, there's really no data to back at the ASCO. Tech assessment doesn't recommend them. But the trials that we quote saying that all they did was show a five-month earlier recurrence and they didn't impact survival, it was all lead time bias and everything, they were done now back in the 70s and 80s. And there was one endocrine agent and the chemo was very limited. And so I'm not sure that you could have impacted based on the therapies available and based on on the scans available because people wouldn't have started treatment until they documented metastasis for elevated tumor markers back in those trials. I would really like to do the study to answer this, which would be to randomize people to have tumor markers followed or not and see if in this day and age with the PET scans and I mean even bone scans are markedly better now with the gamma cameras and everything. And then our treatments are markedly different. And I would be willing if I had somebody 
with an elevated tumor marker that was clearly going up and up outside of a range that I thought I could just say it was background, I would be willing to switch from one endocrine agent to another, even if I couldn't find the disease, which we wouldn't have done back in the 70s and 80s. So I think the trial needs to be done again. And if it's done with current treatment and current imaging, and you still show that there's no improvement in survival, then I'll buy it. On that note, there was an abstract that was presented at ASCO about PET scanning and staging of breast cancer, and the conclusion of those authors was that it did not add anything. And it as found a, a lot of things. As initial were, staging. Right. And I avoid them. What exactly was the ASCO presentation? or did They looked at PET scans, an initial staging evaluation for breast cancer. It yielded very little information with, as one would expect, substantial false positive results, and I remember their conclusion was, don't use them. By a nuclear medicine radiologist. Yeah, by a radiologist. <laughs> Which <so> that, was interesting. <laughs> we were all afraid he was going to show all this data and then conclude, that's, but you should still do him anyway, and he didn't. That's, <laughs> that's what you get from the amateurs.